Let's pray, and we are going to dive right in. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active, and it's able to pierce to the deepest part of our hearts. We pray that you would do that tonight, that you would just prick us where we need it. Uh, God, carve away our flesh and then draw us closer to you. We want to we hear your voice. We want to see your word apply to our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we find ourselves in the book of Psalms. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible in overview fashion. So a book a week, give or take. Uh, as of tonight, we will have officially gone through uh, half of the word count in the scripture. Um, so we're on, we're on a bit of a roll. Next week, we'll probably do Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon all together, all the writings of Solomon in one chunk. Um, but Psalms is really a, just a fascinating book of Scripture, and it's really, if it helps to think of it, it's the Jewish hymnal. It's, it's really the, the song collection for the Jewish people throughout all their history. And so it, it's a chance to watch a lot of things, but it's kind of, you know, it's a chance to watch sort of their history play out in terms of what were they singing about at different times. It's a chance to watch, you know, their struggles play out as they're writing about certain problems. It's a chance to just write out, to watch, you know, the story of really the, the nation of Israel. And it still applies to us, and it's a chance to watch the story of God's faithfulness. And so the Psalms are 150 different songs uh, that are put together, probably Ezra, the scribe was the person who put these all together in the order that we have them, but nobody's positive. So if you want to pick some other person in the Bible and say it was probably them, uh, you know, within reason, you might be right. Um, but they've been in this order basically since the time of Ezra. So for about 24, 2,500 years, the book of Psalms has existed as we know it. Psalms were, the Psalms were put together over probably about 1,000 years um, and we have psalms written by Moses, we have psalms written by Solomon, um, we have about 70 of the psalms that we know are written by David, and uh, there's a couple others written by Asaph, there's a handful written by a group of guys known as the sons of Korah, and, and there's a bunch that we just don't know. And so just, you know, praise songs written by people at different points in time to praise the Lord. And so, uh, you know, there's kind of a, a beauty in the anonymity um, because it can, in a sense, be the cry of anybody's heart at any point in time. And so the Psalms, uh, there's, a, there's a pastor uh, who says that the Psalms are where theology meets human experience. And I think that's a great description for the book of Psalms because they are all about the Lord and they're all about praising God and who God is, but they're also very real. They're very honest. The Psalms uh, cover just about every single human emotion there is. And so in that sense, the Psalms are incredibly relevant to us because, you know, we live in the real world. And sometimes the, the challenge for us is, you know, we come to church and we sing a few worship songs and, and we, you know, study the word and we say hi to everybody and we smile and how can I pray for you and all that. And then we go home and, and, and Sunday afternoon hits and then Monday hits. And there's almost this sense of disconnect where it's like, we can feel as if we live in dual realities. Like I've got my church life and my everyday life and one feels super, you know, peppy and spiritual and the other one just feels really real and very gritty and, you know, just raw and there's a lot of emotion there, there's a lot of struggle there, there's a lot of other people coming at me there and it's not this cute, pretty thing. And the Psalms are that blend. The Psalms are where theology and everything we know about the truth of who God is meets 
human experience, right? The Psalms are where everything we know about God meets all the harsh reality of our world today. And I find that encouraging because life is not always a piece of cake. Life does not always feel like a Sunday morning unless you're the sound man and then life, you know, Sunday mornings are sort of the hardest day of the week. But uh, sound men excluded, you know, Sunday mornings are kind of nice and relaxing and the Psalms aren't trying to paint that picture for us. The Psalms are giving us a very honest expression of the human experience. So uh, as far as how the book is organized, there's really no, uh, there's no good bullet pointed reference for like, here's how you break down the Psalms. Okay, some people try. Uh, they're actually, if you open up in your Bible to the book of Psalms, it'll say book one. And that's the first, you know, 30 Psalms or whatever. And then it says book two. And, and there's four like books, but nobody knows why they're there. They've been there for thousands of years. That's how they got divided up. Maybe it was because they needed, you know, room on the scrolls to mark them. But, um, but really there's no, like they're not sorted by category necessarily. And, you know, I found a pastor who tried to say, well, book one is you know, songs of whatever, redemption, and book two is restoration, and book three is repentance, and he's just picking them because they start with an R. So, really, uh, the Psalms are just the songbook of the nation of Israel, and it's, it's the heart cry of people to the Lord over the course of thousands of years, and it, it's an encouragement because what has applied to the nation of Israel is still applying to us today. And Jesus said, you know, the word of the Lord stands forever, we know that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the truths we find in Psalms are the truths that we can still apply to our hearts today. So with that being said, uh, how do you overview a book that's 150 different songs that doesn't really have a specific order? So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to just kind of work our way through uh, some bullet-pointed psalms, and I'll try and not offer too much commentary, and we're just going to go through tonight and look at the psalms. And sometimes, you know, the best commentary on Scripture is the Scripture. And so a book like Psalms, we just go for it. We see what Psalms says. We see how far we get before we run out of time. Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We see a principle right here, oh, right out of the gate in Psalms. Right? The man who delights in the law of the Lord is, is, in, in, you know, is, is, blessed, is a blessed man. Verse 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, but in whatever he does, he prospers. A man who's rooted in the word of God is going to be firmly planted when, when hard times come. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. So, if you feel like, I'm just not super rooted in life, and, and things are throwing me for a bigger loop than they should, well then, anchor yourself to the word, and watch the word bear fruit in your life. And then, Psalm 2. How's this pace going, guys? Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. You know, as Christians, sometimes it's the temptation is we know this world is not our home and so 
we sort of understand that there are conspiracies out there, and we try to understand that there's conspiracies without being conspiracy theorists. And we understand that there are people out there who have active plans to try and overthrow the will of God. And, and there are governments who try and overthrow the will of God. And there are businesses and organizations. And Psalm 2, verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. God watches all their plans go down and all their billions of dollars and their, you know, who's putting who in power. And he just chuckles and says, isn't that cute? They have no idea what kind of power they're messing with. They have no idea who they think they're trying to overthrow. And so, okay, so, you know, Psalm 1, root yourself in the word of God. Psalm 2, does it feel like there's conspiracies out there? Does it feel like there's a system that's fighting uh, the will of God? There is, and guess what? It's not, it's, it's not, it doesn't win, right? The powers that fight against God are lesser powers, and they will not conquer. And so we rest in that. We can anchor our souls in that truth, that God is sitting up in heaven looking down, and he can laugh at the foolishness of the fact that they think they can overpower God. Psalm, so, you know, just right out of the gate, Psalm 1 and 2 are just, just beautiful bookends in their own right, right? Ground yourself in the word of God. Don't forget the power of God. You will be firmly rooted and you'll be connected to the one who is greater than every world power. Psalm 23 is probably one of the more famous, probably the most famous psalm in the book of Psalms. Uh, it's written by David and it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And that's the first line. And everything that comes after that psalm, it's a super famous psalm. Everything that comes after that comes in context of the fact that he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And so he goes on. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful psalm. He says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David is being led by the Lord. He's being restored by the Lord. He's being guided by the Lord. Why? For the Lord's name's sake. Why? Because the Lord is his shepherd. Not because David's in control. Not because David has his plan or his agenda. Not because David is making things happen. Right? Just because God is God. And just because God is good. He was on, he says, you know, um, even though I'm walking through a valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You know, if the, the shepherd has a rod and a staff... And they're weapons, but David isn't threatened by the Lord's weapons. Why? Because they're weapons of protection. The Lord is protecting David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord is, is giving David what he needs. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Lord isn't just providing the basics that, that David needs. The Lord's providing a fuller abundance than David can even grasp. James says every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Everything we have in life, every good thing is a gift from God, right? Do you, I mean, do you ever stop and consider just the fact that God enjoys putting variety here just for us to enjoy? Why do we have species of animals, right? Why? Why do we have different colored birds or different colored flowers? Do you ever, I mean, it's, it's I mean, every once in a while we get so tucked into our little LED world that we forget to stop and really look around and, why, and, and appreciate the beauty of the world. God made it just because he wanted to bless us, because he thought we'd like it. He wanted to display his glory, and along the way, he wanted us to be blessed by it. And he says, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David isn't being delusional. He's not saying life is going to be perfect, but goodness 
and loving kindness or goodness and mercy, the goodness of God and the mercy of God are going to follow after me all my life. And, and no hardship can take that away. In the same way that no earthly power can overcome the Lord, no hardship can take away the goodness of God. No hardship on this earth can take away the mercy of God. Psalm 34. Um, as you're reading the Psalms, it's important. A lot of the Psalms give us a little bit of context at the beginning. And, and it helps us to ground it. So Psalm 34, there's a little note before it starts. And it says, a Psalm of David. When he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So we got to kind of go back in our minds a little bit to 1 Samuel. And a lot of these Psalms, if you ever want, it can be really encouraging. Uh, go back and find the references and cross-reference them in your Bible. So that when you're reading in 1 Samuel and you get to this passage, you can say, oh, let's go over and read Psalm 34. Let's see what David was writing about when he was going through this. So what's happening for the context, this is David has been anointed king of Israel, but he hasn't been crowned king of Israel. And so he's on the run for his life from a psycho king, and he has to flee to a neighboring nation. And those people David has been enemies with his entire life, so they bring him to the king and say, hey, maybe we could finally you know, bring David to justice. He's killed some of our best warriors. David is in a jam. And so David pretends to be insane. And the, it works. And the king says, I do not need one more crazy man in my court. Get him out of here. They chuck David out. David goes, goes off. But David's in, in a really hard spot in life, okay? While David's on the run from Saul, his wife gets taken and given to another man. He has to take his parents to another nation and basically hide them so that they won't get killed, uh, on his behalf by the king of Israel. He's surrounded, basically, because he's a runaway, he gets all the, it says all the discontent people came to him. David's army is a group of whiners who are mad with the current status quo. And David is going through all that. He has to pretend to be insane to survive. And so he sits down and writes Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David is in the midst of some of the hardest challenges that a human being can go through. And he said, I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times. I'm gonna boast in the Lord. I am gonna be proud of the Lord because I can't be proud of anything else. I have no money, I have no home, I have no family really to speak of at this point in time. So what am I gonna boast in? I'm gonna boast in the fact that God is good. This is after David has written Psalm 23. And he's saying, you know what? That goodness and mercy that I wrote about in Psalm 23, they still haven't left me. He goes on in verse 8 and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is, for to those who fear him, there is no want. He says, I am tasting and seeing the goodness of God in my life right now. And in fact, I have no want. This is at a point in time when David is sleeping in caves and hiding in mud puddles. Okay? This is not exactly what we would define as the Ritz-Carlton. This is hard living. And David says, I have no want because God is in control. And that's, you know, the Psalms, as we hit that, you know, we talked about it's where theology meets human experience. The Psalms are where we can go to ground our human experience in, in the theology of who God is, right? David is, is right here in this Psalm able to say, life is rough. He's not denying reality. But he's saying there's a much bigger, broader, better reality than, than my circumstance here and right now. Psalm 46 
It's for it, the little footnote. It's for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah, set to Alamoth, a song. So sometimes it'll tell you the tune that it's supposed to be sung to. We have no idea what those sounded like, so make up your own tune and try it. Um, I won't try it right now, but I should have earlier. And like, if I would have come up with something good, I would have done it. But you're all welcome that I didn't. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. God is what kind of help? He's a present help. God is not going to help you, or God isn't going to be the God who helped you in the past. God is currently your help. He's your present help in your present reality. And therefore, we don't fear. You know, the earth should change. You know, the earth has changed a little bit over the last couple of years. You may have noticed, right? There's a little bit of a shift in world power. There's a little bit of a shift in global stability and economic security and all those kinds of things. The earth has shifted a lot, you know, and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. You know, there's been a lot more earthquakes. There's been a lot more tsunamis. And, right? And what? And the Lord is still a present help in time of trouble. And so we're not, again, we never deny reality. We're not Buddhist. We don't say, oh, if we can just elevate ourselves to a heightened state of consciousness, we'll realize that all suffering is a myth. No, suffering is not a myth. Suffering is not a delusion. Suffering is real. But so is God. And goodness and mercy are following, right? They, they will follow us all the days of our life. And so that's what we're coming to see. Trouble is okay, if God is present. Psalm 51. For the choir director, again, this is the little footnotes at the beginning of the Psalms. For the choir director, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So, we said the Psalms cover just about every human experience and every human emotion. Well, here's a Psalm for right after you've sinned and been caught, which is, you know, a pretty guilty feeling. David hid this sin with Bathsheba for a year. All right, he had had a child with Bathsheba before Nathan confronted him. So David spent a year hiding his sin, and then, and then he gets busted by the Lord, and, and he writes this psalm. And he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you've sinned, if you've stumbled, that's a great prayer. Psalm 51 is... is one of the most encouraging psalms, I think, because it's one of the godliest men in Scripture who also made some of the biggest mistakes in Scripture, saying, God, would you please cleanse me? And he goes on, he says, Create in me, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. God, give me the, the joy that I had when you saved me. Give me a clean heart. Renew a faithful spirit in me. Verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. David says, you know what? I'm not gonna fix this by giving a bigger check to the church. I'm not gonna fix this by some outward show of you know, sorrow. I'm not gonna be one of those you know, politicians of either party who gets on and says, you know, I'm sorry that somebody misunderstood my actions and, you know, whatever. David says, God is not interested in sacrifice. God is interested in a broken heart, right? So if, it's a super encouraging psalm. 
because it's a psalm written by a broken man. And when we stumble, we can feel that, that guilt and that shame, but we can also recognize, you know what? David cried out to God to create in him a clean heart. He cried out to God, you know, be gracious to me and blot out my transgressions. And if you go back in 2 Samuel, Nathan tells David, your sins have been forgiven. And there's consequences. David has to live with those consequences, but Nathan tells David, your sins have been forgiven. And so Psalm 51, we, we come to that point of, you know, okay, you know, it's not all... It's not all fun and games. It's not all running from Saul. Sometimes it's our own sin that brings us to this point, and it doesn't change the reality of God. Psalm 73. A psalm of Asaph. Asaph was one of the chief musicians, kind of the official worship leader in the tabernacle. And Asaph is an interesting guy. He writes several of the psalms. Um, He's very... He's... Really, all the psalm writers are incredibly honest about their struggles. But Asaph, I just always find very encouraging because he's very real. And uh, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph says, You know what? God is good, but I almost completely lost sight of that because I was watching the wicked and I got envious of how good they have it. Have you ever noticed that the wicked have it pretty good sometimes? Right? I mean, if you take the top five richest people in the world right now, I'm pretty sure none of them are Christians. But they have an awful lot of money, and they probably get to spend it on an awful lot of cool things. Right? There's sometimes you look at wicked people, and you're like, how is, you know, that person lives forever and ever and ever. They just won't die. And, and you look at, Christians who have gone on the mission field, Christians who have just poured out their lives for the Lord and it's one thing after another. And you think, what is going on? Is, it, is there no justice in the world, right? Is God, is, how could you do this? How could a loving God do something like that? And Asaph wrestles with that exact same question. So he says, I won't read the whole thing. Well, we'll, we'll kind of read the whole thing. Anyways, verse 10 uh, so he's talking about the wicked here. He says, therefore his people return to his place. He's got a nice home that his people go back to. The waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? God doesn't know what we're doing. Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They've increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. I'm doing the right thing and suffering the hard things. And these people are doing the wrong thing and having the good things happen to them. And that is not fun, and that is not fair. That's where Asaph's at. If I had said, I will speak thus, and this is where Asaph gets really honest, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17, until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Asaph was wrestling with the question of pain and suffering in the world and the question of unfairness in the world until he came to the sanctuary of God. You know, we're wrestling. One of the best places to come is the church. It's to come to the congregation of believers and say, here's what I'm wrestling. Where are you wrestling with? Here's what I'm struggling. Here's what I'm having trouble keeping my eyes on the Lord, right? And in that moment, when Asaph goes there, then he sees their end and he realizes, you know what? For a believer... This earth is the closest to hell we will ever get. And for an unbeliever, this earth is the closest to heaven they will ever get. And so sometimes 
the Lord in his grace gives these people a little more time, a little more health, a little more money. He allows them that extra dose because unless they choose to repent, this is the most enjoyment they'll ever have, right? And if we're walking according to the Lord, this is the roughest it's ever gonna get. This is it. It's all uphill from here. Psalm 111 um, kicks in, says, praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They're studied by all who delight in them. God is awesome. And we should study the fact that God is awesome. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. This is just a straight up psalm saying, you know what, let's praise the Lord for what he has done. Let's declare to one another who God is. And that's, that's you know, that's what we do. That's what we do as a church. And what we should be doing as individuals. We come together or we go into the privacy of our own hearts and we praise the Lord for who he is. <clears throat> because we need to be in a perpetual state of A, reminding ourselves, but also any God who is this powerful and this glorious and this holy deserves every, every ounce of praise we can give him. And so much more, right? This is... How could we not worship a God this powerful? How could we not worship a God this great? Psalm, uh, okay, so I said that Psalms isn't really broken into categories. There's like a couple brief exceptions. Psalm 113 to 118 are sometimes called the Hallel Psalms or the Hallelujah Psalms. And they're Psalms that the Israelites would have sung at the Passover. And so they had a bit of a specific connotation. Um, and so it's, you know, it's interesting coming just out of the Easter season right now to think about some of these psalms in context to that. Because these psalms, remember, if Ezra's the one who put them together, and at the very least, they've been in place since about the time of Ezra, then Jesus and his disciples would have sung these psalms as they were participating in the Last Supper. And so Psalm 116, verse 12 through 15, says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Jesus would have sung that the night before he died. I'm gonna lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I'm gonna pay my vows to the Lord. Jesus fulfilled what he came to do, right? Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. He said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And... It was in the presence of all his people and precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Now that's partially a reference to the fact that, you know, when we die, we're gathered into heaven and that's a precious thing in the Lord's eyes because we're purified, we're glorified, our sinful bodies are taken away. That's a beautiful thing. But there's also sort of a dual meaning there as Jesus is seeing that, you know, in us, you know, the, the crucifixion is not a beautiful thing. It's an awful thing. But... It's the most precious thing that ever happened because it demonstrates the love of God for us, right? So, so that's the Psalm 116. That's one of the Hillel Psalms. Um, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's, um, it's written, it's broken up 
uh, in such a way that basically it has like each section is corresponds with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And in Hebrew, um, so I've been told, each verse in those sections starts with that letter of the alphabet. So it'd be a psalm that was designed to be easy to memorize. Uh, but it's really a love song for the word of God. It's just an outpouring of praise for the word of God. And so it's, it's uh, you know, you could spend weeks on Psalm 119 in and of itself. But it's describing the value of the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Young men can keep their way pure by keeping their way to the word of God. It's interesting that it says young men. Because why? Because you can corral young men. You can corral any other group right? Nobody says, who can, you know, what can make a nice old lady pure, right? By keeping it according to the word of God. All the young men in the room would say, thanks, so what? That helps me nothing, right? But if you can take a young man with all of his immaturity and his raging hormones and his lack of balance and perspective in life and his arrogance and keep that all according to the word of God, that was a little self-descriptive, wasn't it? Um, If the word of God can corral all of that, it can corral anybody, and not, you know, and it can, the word of God can keep your way pure. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law, right? I'm coming to your word, God, open my eyes. That's a great prayer every morning when you sit down with the scriptures. Verse 88, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. God, I want to I just, I want to keep your word, the words that you've spoken out, give me, revive me. Give me enough mercy to speak your words just a little longer. And so it goes on and describes how the word is our source of spiritual strength. The word provides us with spiritual perspective. It revives us. It teaches us. It molds us. It lasts forever. It gives wisdom. And so it's, it's just an incredible psalm. Um, psalm 120 to 134 is another little category. And they're called Psalms of Ascent. And basically, <coughs> geographically, the city of Jerusalem is up on a hill. And as the nation of Israel come together uh, for their feast, when everybody had to come to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs as they're all walking up to the city of Jerusalem, which would have, you know, there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, and they're all walking towards the city, and they see the temple up on the hill, and they start singing. And so they would have been singing some of these songs. I will lift up, verse Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, right? We're looking up at the temple as we're walking up to Jerusalem saying, I'm looking at that. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So they're looking at the temple saying, unless the Lord builds the house, it's, it's vain, right? And we look at our own lives. Paul tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And... Unless the Lord's doing the work in our lives, it's a fruitless labor. doesn't matter how many self-help books you read. doesn't matter how much willpower you exercise. Unless the Lord is building the house, you are laboring in vain. Uh, Psalm 136. I think we're going to do this. Um, if you look at Psalm 136, there's really only one way that I can look at it and decide how I think it should be read. Because it's a call and response psalm. And every other line is meant to be sung back. So I thought, you know what? For the sake of appreciating it, uh, let's do it the way the Israelites would have done it. So if you're physically able, let's stand up. There's a couple of different translations. Uh, 
Some verses, the second line says, for his mercy endures forever, and some say for his loving kindness is everlasting. Um, his mercy endures forever is a little shorter. So I read the line, and then you guys repeat, you guys read the second line, I read the third line, you read the fourth line. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. You can be excited about it if you want. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Sorry, I read your line, didn't I? My bad. To him alone who does great wonders. To him who made the heavens with skill. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who smote the Egyptians and their firstborn. And brought Israel out from their midst. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings. And slew mighty kings. Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. Even as a heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our low estate. And has rescued us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. You can be seated. So, did you gather the little element that we're trying to pick up about the nature of God there? His mercy endures forever. And we recall that as they recall Israel's history. They recall that as they recall that God is the creator of the world. They recall that as they recall their deliverance and God's goodness. In every context, his mercy endures forever. Right? Psalm 139 is another just incredibly famous psalm. Uh, it's a beautiful psalm. But it just goes on and basically it's broken into a couple different sections. Uh, the first section is basically uh, God knows everything. He says, Even bef- uh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. God, you know everything about me. The next sh- section, next section is all about God's just, the, he's everywhere. His omnipresence is the word some people use. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your heaven? From your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. He's saying, you know, I can't get away from you. God, you know everything. You are everywhere. The next section is all about God's power. Basically, God, you can do anything. You can create anything. And then the last little bit is about just responding to God. It's a beautiful psalm about just praising God for who he is and what he's done. And then as we're wrapping up, Psalm 150. It is the last psalm, so by definition, we're wrapping up. It's just a... It's a great psalm to end this. 
as, as we're thinking about who God is, hold it. Sorry, before I get all into my Psalm 150 chunk, uh, I skipped one. Sorry, it happens. We're covering a lot of material here. Uh, Psalm 137. You've got to cover this when you're going through the book of Psalms. Psalm 137 is what's called an imprecatory psalm, which is a big fancy word that basically means uh, it's a psalm that makes you uncomfortable when you read it. Um, because basically, these are people, you know, we said it's where theology meets human experience. And the imprecatory psalms are basically psalms where people are asking for the Lord to deal with their enemies and deal with them all the way. So this one is written when, the Isra- when Judah had been captured by Babylon. And um, so, you know, sort of the, the summary is the last two verses, eight and nine. Oh, daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you've repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. And we read that and we think, that's just a little bit, you know, blunt. Rich Mullins read that at a concert one time. He said, that's not the verse we read at the pro-life rallies. Um, so, but we have, to, we have to kind of address this because it's in the scriptures. It's, it's divinely inspired. So what do we do with this? And it's important because as we're reading through the Psalms, there's a handful of these. And so there's a couple things to remember. One, these are written in the Old Testament. And it's important to understand that because Jesus said in Matthew, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. The Old Testament summary uh, was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and the holiness and the justice. And the New Testament summary for us as we're moving forward as Christian believers is we love each other in the way that Christ loved us. And so these Psalms aren't unbiblical in an Old Testament context. Okay, if you have someone who annoys you and you, you know, there's a psalm in here I found earlier this week. I forget where it's at. It says, you know, don't forget his mother's sins. It's like, wow, that's a little, you know, stark. Um, don't pray that for your boss or whatever, right? That, that's not the context. But the other thing is understand that these are prayers. These are not people executing vengeance on their own, right? So if you, you know, they're taking it, to the Lord. God, this is where I'm at. This is what I would truthfully like right now. Okay? If I'm honest, this is what I want. And honesty in prayer is not a bad thing. But honesty in prayer has to always be grounded in honesty. So it's okay to say, God, here's honestly where I'm struggling. Here's honestly what I want. But then you need to honestly go back to who is God? What does God want? Right? What does God want in that person's life? Well, what God honestly wants is that person's salvation. What God honestly wants is that person's deliverance. And so it doesn't matter who that person is or what they've done. And it's okay to be honest before the Lord. We're not called, you know, we're called to bless and do not curse. And so this is, you know, sometimes these psalms can make us a little bit uncomfortable. But we need to keep some of those things in mind, okay? We're in the new covenant. We're under Jesus Christ. And along the way, we're also understanding that these guys, even as they're praying this, they are praying it. They're not acting it out. So that's, we just needed to cover that because otherwise you get to those psalms and you're like, what the heck? But Psalm 150, last psalm, says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. You praise God when you're in church. You praise God when you're anywhere else in the universe. Praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
You praise Him for the things He's done and you praise Him just for who He is, for all of His greatness. You praise Him with a trumpet sound. You praise Him with a harp and lyre. Praise Him with a timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with a trumpet. If you have a trumpet, praise the Lord. If you don't, an electric guitar effect pedal is pretty close. Praise Him with harps and lyres. That's awful close to a guitar. Praise Him with timbrels and dancing. Timbrel is a drum, right? Praise the Lord with drums, with stringed instruments and pipes. Pipes. Praise Him with loud cymbals and with resounding cymbals. Because we need to emphasize that some cymbals aren't as loud as others, right? They come in all different sizes. And so just to make sure, the Lord wants to make sure that all the drummers in the world understand, use all of them, right? Use the little ones, use the big ones, use the ones that have like the extra sound effects that you can get when you hit them. Praise Him with all of those. And then let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the final line of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms opens by telling us that the man who walks according to the word of God is blessed. And it ends by telling us to praise the Lord. And that really ought to be the summary of our entire lives. Psalms covers all the theology of God and all the human experience that we go through. And in the same way, our lives... We, we live with that human experience, but we also live with that theology of God. And so what do we do? We do the beginning and the end of Psalms. We ground ourselves in the word of God and we praise the Lord. And we recognize that his goodness and his mercy never fail. We recognize that his mercy endures forever. Right? That is the book of Psalms. That's what we do with the book of Psalms. We praise the Lord and we ground ourselves in it. So there we go. Next week, it's going to be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomons. Woohoo! All right. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would just apply it to our hearts. Have your way with us. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. God, we want to be people marked by praise. People who are just in awe of what you've done. God, we think about just the incredible creation that you've made, this universe, and that you've allowed us to live in it. And you've hidden mysteries in it that we can still not even fully grasp. And you've made, you've made it so beautiful and so wonderful, and yet simultaneously we recognize the, the, the curse of sin. We recognize the reality of death and suffering and heartache and betrayal and, and all of these things that we go through, and we recognize that they're real, but we recognize that you're real. We recognize that, that you are doing something incredible, that you are just, you're working your plan, even in ways that we can't sometimes understand. And so, Lord, we pray that you would ground us in your word and that you would make us people of praise. And it's for your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we thank you and we praise you. Amen.